welcome to OK Sis Podcast. Hi, sisters. I'm Maddie. And I'm Scout. And we are sisters IRL. I'm the older one. Yes, Scout. We know. We're cultural observers. And of curious minds. Get ready for sisterly banter while we chat about fixations, learnings, and personal growth. We promise it'll be a good time. As long as you don't get too loud, Mads. Welcome to the sisterhood. Hello, sisters. Welcome to the first installment of the OK Sis Book Club where every month we will read a book together and discuss it on the pod with the author. This is Mads, and I'm riding solo today. I'm solo. I'm riding solo. I'm solo. <laughs> Everyone knows that we're huge bibliophiles here at OK Sis, and we hope these bonus episodes will either get you out of your reading rut, make you fall in love with reading again, or introduce you to some genres that you may not have read before. This book club will be pretty romance novel heavy to begin with because that's what I'm particularly interested in the moment. And it's my book club, so I make the rules. JK. I obviously want your input and any book suggestions that you have, and I will try to make it happen. Um, as you may know, there is something so special about book clubs because you read the story privately and then come together to geek out over the themes or characters. And it's truly one of my favorite communities to build and also be a part of. If you aren't already, be sure to join our book club group chat on Bunches to discuss the book of the month along with other recommendations. There are so many awesome women in there, so we'd love to have you in the community as well. The link to join can be found in the show notes and on our Instagram link in bio. Okay, April's book pick is The X-Talk by Rachel Solomon. I'm hoping everyone who is listening to this has already read The X-Talk, but even if you didn't, I think this will be a very fruitful conversation for you to listen in on. So to summarize the book, the story is centered around Shay Goldstein, who is a Jewish radio show producer at an established public radio station in Seattle, where she's worked for the past 10 years. And in order to insert some new life into the network, Shay pitches this fresh concept called The X-Talk which is a relationship show and podcast hosted by two exes. Juicy. And after this pitch, her boss decides that Shay and her office rival, Dominic, should host the show and pretend that they have dated and are now exes because they're already there's already like this tension between them. And we see them struggle not only to get along with one another, but struggle with the notion of lying to their listeners. And as the podcast and show grows in popularity, Shay and Dominic obviously fall in love. And uh, the overall deception with their audience ultimately leads to the demise of the show. There are themes around truth and authenticity within the audio medium, which obviously Scout and I can definitely attest to. There are themes around resistance to change and feeling enough self-worth and confidence to actually feel step up and follow your dreams and on top of that it's a very charming and sexy love story which does not hurt all right without further ado let's get into today's discussion on the x talk with rachel solomon hello hi hello miss rachel how are you Good. How are you doing? Good. Good. Thank you so much for reaching out about this. I was so excited. Oh my God. Well, we had to start off the book club with a book on Jewish podcasts. <laughs> I mean, it only made sense. So thank you so much for being here. Of course. Of course. How long have you guys been doing this? 
this is the, well the podcast has been around for about two and a half years yeah for two and a half years and then we just decided to create this series where we do a book club once a month it's a little bonus episode so you're the you're the first one well I am very honored thank you <laughs> Okay, so we're here to talk about the X Talk, and I devoured this book in one sitting, which to me is an indication of a great read, and because I am a notoriously slow reader, so kudos to you. Very engaging story, amazing. Thank you so much. You know, it was such a blast to write, and it's the best compliment as an author to hear that it was a very fast read, um, because for this book. I, well, I wrote it so quickly, I hurt my hands. Um, I you wrote hand the, write it? No. No, no, but uh, well, like my wrists, you know. Okay, the, the okay. Typing. Yeah, <laughs> some intense typing. Um, I wrote the first draft in 17 days. And Holy shit. Then I made myself take a break because my wrists just like would not work. <laughs> and like that. full carpal tunnel, like just full dead yeah. wrists. Yes, wow. yes. So, you know, I, I get so excited to talk to authors because I, I feel like reading is such this like personal and intimate experience. It's something that you do alone. And then when they're, you know, you jolted back to reality, you realize that the words were created by someone else. And it's such a bizarre realization. And I can imagine it is kind of similar for the author. I mean, you're writing this book, it feels like your baby. And then when people start to read it and extract meaning and, you know, interpret it in different ways, I can only imagine it, it can feel so strange. What do, do you resonate with that at all? Yes, absolutely. You know, it's, it's also really fascinating because the schedule that a lot of authors are on, you're often two books ahead of the book that's coming out. So you're seeing people react to it. Meanwhile, you are in a totally different world. So there's just a bit of like readjustment that you have to do in your brain. Be like, oh yeah, those characters. Those characters. Yeah. Those and I mean, I, it's not like I just send them off and forget them. I mean, the, this book in particular, and then a book that uh, my book today, tonight, tomorrow that came out before this one, um, those ones just live in my brain most of the time because those characters just really like stuck with me. And they're like, you know, there's huge pieces of myself in all of them. So like to forget the characters is like forgetting a part of yourself almost. Absolutely. Um, but I do feel like I kind of go through a mourning period whenever something is completely done. And I always think back to being in like AP US history in high school and learning that like the constitution is a living document. And for whatever reason, just that's you know, that phrase living document really stuck with me. And I really feel like books are a living document. You know, this manuscript can change so many different times until that final pass that you do through it. And then all these different versions of it that have lived in your head and the different things that the characters might have done, like no one else will know what those are. Um, you know, no one else will know that there was like a karaoke scene in a very early draft of the X talk that never oh made God. it through. So it's like, they, those characters never do karaoke right now, but in my head, like <laughs> they, 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 they do. Still do, it still lives. Yeah. yeah I mean, so it's, it's a story. And I mean, I could definitely relate to the whole, like the book hangover feeling. Like if, when I'm done with such a good book, there is this, there is this morning that you're just, you know, it's complete, it's done. And yes, the reader can kind of 
you know, imagine what would happen next. But there is this like finality to it that feels very much like a hangover to me. Yes, definitely. And I, I mean, I experience that all the time with reading. I'm like, I think I get a lot of like anticipatory hangovers where I just know that a book is going to wreck me. And then at the end, yeah. I'm going to just be lying on the floor. Uh, <laughs> and sometimes I'll just try to like delay okay. that as much as possible. Uh, but yeah, it's very, it's a very strange feeling because yeah, it's like that living document until it's final and then you send it off. And then there's a period of, you know, several months where nothing is happening. You know, it's all being produced and formatted and all, and all of that. And then people start reading it and interacting with it. And that's when it kind of comes to life again. And it really, it takes on all these, you know, it, it was all these different versions in my head. And then it becomes all these different versions in other people's heads. And that's really exciting too, is seeing what people latch onto. You know, right. a lot of people have connected with the Jewish elements of the story, which is always really wonderful to see because, you know, growing up, I didn't really see modern Jewish books with characters just like casually being Jewish and living their lives. Like it was all just Holocaust books. So I love hearing from Jewish readers and then people picking up on things that, you know, I didn't necessarily think would, would resonate as much as they did. Like the grief subplot mm -hmm. was, I've, I've been really struck by people who've reached out to me about that. Sisters, my goal these days is to always look put together when I leave the house. Nothing over the top or super dressed up or anything like that. I just want to look put together and feel good about what I'm wearing in an effortless yet refined way. When I look at my closet every single morning and think about what I can wear that is chic and intentional, I usually end up grabbing one of my Jenny Kane sweaters and I always end up loving the way I look and the way I feel in them. You all know, sisters, that when I envision my highest self, I am wearing Jenny Kane. Their sweaters are the quintessential must-have item. I cannot stop wearing my Marina set. I throw it on and immediately feel like I'm in a Nancy Myers movie, like I could just walk on the beach in Santa Barbara. It is the coastal grandma aesthetic. My favorite Jenny Kane sweater right now is their everyday sweater in taupe. This is the definition of a staple that every woman must have in their wardrobe. Sisters, trust me on this one. I wear it with leggings, oversized jeans, and a little kitten heel or a silk maxi skirt. Legit, Mads and I are so obsessed with wearing our Johnny Kane sweaters that we've literally shown up both wearing the same sweater once. The white alpaca cocoon crew neck, which is this deliciously oversized sweater. Yeah, that moment takes the cake. Both of us walking in with our matching Jenny Kane sweaters. We're obsessed. Can't take them off. Wearing them every day. The type of staples that save your outfit. That is what I love about their entire collection. It is truly the art of simplicity. They focus on comfort, quality, and timeless designs. So you can curate a wardrobe that never goes out of style. Find your new uniform at JennyKane.com. Our listeners get 15% off your first order when you use code OKSIS at checkout. That's 15% off your first order, J-E-N-N-I-K-A-Y-N-E.com, promo code OKSIS. O-K-A-Y-S-I-S. -S. Let getting dressed be one less thing to worry about. I want to I wanna talk about the Judaism aspect. I was going to ask this later, but I think this is such a great segue. Um, 
and I I definitely resonated with that as well, right? I love how Shay's Judaism is not the center of her identity, um, but it's rather like an extension of her culture or her family. It's kind of like just like hinted in a little bit. And it was mm-hmm. so funny because I was reading it over Passover and then she was like at a Seder and I'm like, this is meta. Um, but it's the way that I identify as Jewish, right? Like there's the cultural element to it. It's not necessarily about living by this re- religious doctrine. It is part of just our ourselves and mm-hmm. I agree with you I'd have n- it was very apparent to me when when it was just sprinkled in it felt very casual um and not like you were trying to like shove Judaism or like the actual religion down people's throats it was more so just like this is something that that she is yes and I all of my characters, so this was my um, fourth published book, my first adult novel, and all of my characters have been Jewish to varying degrees of observance. So my first published book, You'll Miss Me When I'm Gone, it's kind of a heavier contemporary YA novel. Um, The characters are conservative Jews, and I did a lot of research, um, had a lot of readers, because I it was not something that I had experienced. I'm reform and these days I'm pretty secular. So I wanted to make sure I was getting all of those details right. Um, and I think it was just because I, you know, grew up reading books without Jewish characters, or it was like a, it was either a Holocaust book or as a one-off where it was just like, Hannah can't hang out on Friday nights <laughs> because she's Jewish. Right. Yeah. I was like, okay, that's, that's all we get. It's one of these two things. Um, so I think my reaction was just, I'm going to make these characters very observant, um, because that was actually the first, I had written things before that, but my first, I, I think it really, um, there was a reason that that book was my first published book, and I think part of that was because those characters were Jewish, and I was just putting, it, it felt more meaningful, um, to me as an author, um, so yeah, all my characters, varying degrees of, of observance, a lot of, lot of them are struggling with feeling like Jewish enough, which just speaking with a lot of my Jewish friends, I know that's something a lot of us uh, struggle with. Um, and I just like finding new ways, you know, when I'm starting a new book, figuring out, okay, how does this character relate to their religion? How has it impacted their family? Um, what are their traditions? What are some of the traditions that they might share with a love interest? And is that love interest Jewish? Um, because sometimes they are, sometimes they aren't. Um, so yeah, it's a really important part of like character building and, and novel world building to me. Yeah. I love that that's a through line in all of your books that you make it a point to either include Judaism in some facet. Um, what have you said that the audience was like particularly in the X talk, very, you know, gravitated towards Shay and, and her identity. What have you been hearing from people? Are people, um, cause I know that you have something on your Instagram where you, you encourage, you know, Jewish readers to reach mm-hmm. out. So how, how has that impacted the perception of the book? One thing that is really made a bigger point in the publishing world right now is getting own voices books to own voices reviewers and I'm not sure if you're familiar with that term or if that's something you guys have talked about but I can definitely define it yeah define it please yeah for sure so own voices means um an author shares a I mean well an author or I guess any type of creator shares a marginalized identity with their main character so it would not be the case if like you know, you were writing a side character and a non-point of view character. So, you know, my books are own voices for Judaism and 
it's really important to me to be able to get early copies of those books to Jewish own voices reviewers. Um, because it's just, I don't, I, I think there's just a history of, it's, it's especially apparent for um, authors of color and readers of color, but like there's a history of like those readers not being prioritized. And there's a really big push for, for all mar marginalizations, so like disabled readers having access to books with disabled characters, you know, queer readers getting access, early access to, to books by queer authors. Um, and it's, it's something that I am really um, passionate about because I love hearing from Jewish readers. And it wasn't until after my first book came out and I heard responses from Jewish readers that I kind of promised to myself that I would only write Jewish characters because so many of the people who contacted me had never seen Jews in contemporary books that were not about the Holocaust or that were not about some big tragedy. Yeah, that that's, I, I never even heard that term. That's a, that's an incredible, um, I guess, practice. So when you give them, you give early access to these readers, you, you then you're just sending them before it launches, for instance? Yeah, so it's usually a conversation that I'll have with my publicists. Okay. Um, you know, hey, can we get a special, you know, widget for these early readers to download um, an advanced copy of the book? And everyone's been really supportive. Love that. Yeah, okay. <laughs> let's Let's get into the story. Um, first, we got to talk about radio and podcasting. Um, Obviously, this whole book centers around the power of audio. Um, I am ob obviously very avid and a <laughs> consumer and a content creator within this space, so I know um, a lot about it. I think something that stood out to me and it was a theme that came across multiple times is this like truth in audio and podcasting and storytelling. Um, I guess I never really realized it until I read this book, but I was like, oh yeah, of course. Like, there, there's no way that our podcast, Okay Sis, happens without vulnerability, without authenticity, without truth. It's just these long form conversations have to be rooted in in truth. And, um, you know, obviously we might put on a character. Or there's like a little over dramatizing of mm -hmm. your of yourself, <laughs> but it's still yourself. And I, I saw how much Shay struggled with that, and I can only imagine. Um, you know, having having to lie to, you know, a community that you've built and that you have grown with and then basically deceiving them. And I can understand how it chipped away and ultimately led to the demise of the show. So talk to us a little bit about, you know, your relationship with podcasting or radio, why why you felt to put a whole book centered around it. So a lot of this goes back to my love of journalism and how I got into journalism. And I was really drawn to stories about people. And I had some experience working in news and in breaking news, and it just was not for me. Uh, so whenever I wrote a story, I just always started with like some interesting detail that I found out about a source as I was talking to them. Uh, and I think this really carried through to my love for podcasts too, in that I was really drawn to hosts and, you know, I would even say characters because you're kind of playing a different version of yourself when you're podcasting. Um, I was really drawn to people that I felt like I had a connection with because they were talking about something that, that mattered to me or that I could relate to. 
and, and I love that about podcasting where you just feel like it is this really intimate relationship. I don't know if it's just because you can put headphones in and completely block out the rest of the world. And it's just like, they are talking only to you. Um, but there's just something like very, uh, just special about that feeling. And I started listening to podcasts. I was somewhat of a late adopter. Um, they, they were definitely getting big by the time that I started listening to them as a senior in high school. Uh, and I just only wanted to work in radio. Like I, I, I mean, I think I was very, I make a joke about this in the book, but like, I wanted to work on this American life. That was my, <laughs> that was my dream job. And I think that is the dream job of many people who go into public radio. Um, but the real challenge with this book was, especially coming as someone with a journalism background where truth and ethics are just hammered into you at, at every turn. And, you know, you, it's a requirement to take journalism ethics classes. Um, you know, I realized pretty early on that it was kind of a problem that Shay and Dominic are lying and deceiving so many of their listeners. And I think that part of that is so many romantic comedies have like this scheming element to them. <laughs> uh, and I think what I love so much about them is that is just a built-in way for your character to have to grow by the end of the book where they start out scheming and maybe doing something wrong for what they think are the right reasons and they're able to justify it to themselves. Uh, and then the growth that they experience by the end of the book, they're able to you know, come out of that scheme and realize what they did was not 100% right. And yeah, they've, they've just evolved at that point. So it, it was kind of those two layers of like analyzing the, the truth of it all and this this lie that they're building and how they were able to um, talk themselves into it and then just that really classic romantic comedy element that I think definitely I always think back to kind of like the rom-com I would call it a golden age I guess of like late 90s early 2000s like so many of those rom-coms have like that scheming element to them right like never been kissed how to lose a guy in 10 days they're all built on just like sneakiness and lying <laughs> it's so true I mean you mentioned you mentioned rom-coms and you also said that this was your first adult novel that you wrote and I've recently become such a fan of romance novels and I I think the reason I hadn't gotten into them until now is because and I, I hope this doesn't offend you because I'm such a fan of the genre but there is like this stigma and misconception mm -hmm. around romance novels that they're you know like intellectually inferior or there's like chick lit like it's just this like demoralizing term and whereas I have found them to be so delightful such engaging reads and honestly an incredible form of escapism that I, I can't get anywhere else and Mm -hmm. I, I want to hear about what excites you about the romance novel genre because when I read books like yours like I'm like I'm the prose is beautiful you're an incredible writer and storyteller so I hate that it's that romance novels have gotten this rap and I think that I think things are definitely shifting um there's just such an amazing landscape of authors I mean Jasmine Guillory Helen Huang and um you know Sally Thorne all these amazing women um so I, I want to kind of hear about your thoughts around around the genre itself and how, how it's evolved. Yes. Well, I'm really glad that you asked this question because my the book that I that I had come out before this one, Today, Tonight, Tomorrow, which is a YA romantic comedy, the main character wants to write romance novels, and it's something that she hides 
from people because she's worried about the stigma. So that book deals with like this exact <laughs> topic. Um, but it's something that I feel really, I just love talking about this because I think you're totally right that there is a stigma. And I think so much of it stems from the way that romance novels have been marketed and the way that is shifting. Um, you know, over the past, probably less than five years, we've seen a really dynamic shift in romance novels where they are being sold as trade paperbacks instead of the smaller mass market paperbacks that you would find at, you know, Walmart or yeah, yeah. a drugstore somewhere, something like that. And instead of the kind of classic cover that we would envision where, you know, it's two people embracing or, you know, a shirtless man or something, um, we're getting these like brightly colored illustrated covers um, that, you know, a lot of what I've heard from like my agent, from my editor, from other people in publishing is these are really targeted toward millennials who would not have picked up a romance novel in the past. You know, you and I are not, not the target demographic of the, you know, Walmart mass market paperbacks. Um, yeah, like millennials just aren't often picking those up. It's not the kind of book that you really, there's just so much stigma in like reading that kind of book in public. Um, so a lot of these trade paperbacks, what's really interesting is they're so similar to what Chiclet used to be, which is a label no one is really using anymore. Um, but they also have a lot more steam. Um, you know, I think a lot of Chiclet was very closed door, um, whereas many books with illustrated covers, I mean, the illustrated cover is usually not at all an in, in indication of like how sexy it is. Um, <laughs> Definitely not. No, it's like very innocent cover. And then it's just like, oh, wow. <laughs> um, and I'm not complaining because like that's yeah. I mean, there's there's no quicker way for me to read a book than someone's like, oh, it's very steamy. I'm like, OK, yeah. it's in my cart. Same girl. Um, <laughs> but uh, it's such a fascinating shift. And I am sure there are many great think pieces about it. But I really think the two books that well, I would even say three books. They've actually the three authors that you mentioned, I think that Jasmine Guillory, Helen Huang, and Sally Thorne have kind of, their books really broke out in such huge ways. And there are some other publishers that I think are still trying to catch up, but the major publishers all have multiple imprints that will put out these trade paper. Um, and a lot of them are calling them romantic comedies instead of romances. Uh, yeah. It's So it's really a, an exciting shift to be a part of. And even when I was drafting this book in 2019, I knew exactly the kind of book that I wanted it to be. Like, I was like, okay, I want this to be trade paperback, illustrated cover type of book, because I think it's, it's a romantic comedy. It has like a decent amount of steam. I think that's where it fits. Um, so yeah, I, I from, it, it's also been interesting because I don't think a lot of people in the industry are wondering, is this bubble going to burst? <laughs> because there are just so many of these types of books, but romance readers are so voracious and people are just continuing to, to devour these. Um, so I don't think it's in danger of bursting anytime soon, honestly. I agree. I think it's it's been the one genre that I consume the fastest. I think I go through them like nothing nothing else and it's you know you feel like obviously you're reading so you're you know you get a little pat on the back but it's not this like 
arduous process or I don't know. There's just something light about it, but it also feels uh, relatable in, in a sense. Um, I do want to talk about the steaminess and the logistics behind <laughs> writing a sex scene because I want to just know what your process is for this because when I'm reading reading them, you know, I – you don't want it to come off cheesy. You don't mm-hmm. want it, you know, to feel cringy. But there are just like certain elements, I think, and like a certain formula that you do have to follow in order to make sure the person, the reader is, feels like they're, you know, in it in a way. <laughs> um, so where does the inspiration come from? How, how do you even start to write something like this? I, that it, I'm so glad you asked that. That's such a fun question. Uh, it's definitely not something I was asked about my YA novels. It's, it's, it's such a different experience because I'm being, I'm tagged in reviews sometimes that are like, this book made me horny. I'm like, this is very different. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I'm not one of those authors that like needs to be drunk to write a sex scene. Like I can write it at eight in the morning. I can write it. Um, actually, most of the X Talks sex scenes were written on a flight to Pittsburgh in a middle seat between two older gentlemen. Oh my God, that's amazing. <laughs> so, I mean, I can really write one anywhere. Um, so my my drafting process, my first drafts are very thin and just really bare bones. Um, so I will often have a, just kind of sketch out how I want a sex scene to go. And I usually have like two to three in an adult book um, because I like to, I, I, I just like kind of live for the moment when it just like feels different. That last time it's like, oh, now we're in love. <laughs> now this feels different. Um, they're just, I think I always try to do something slightly, I say subversive, but I think subversive is a really hard compliment to give yourself. So I say that with like a thousand grains of salt. Um, (laughs) But I, you know, it's really important to me that like the, I mean, I write, um, you know, straight romances. So it's really important to me that the woman in the couple is the one in control and like, you know, having an orgasm first and just it's really centered on her, um, which is also helpful because we're only in her head. Um, I, I not, not, not open to writing a, a dual POV romance in the future, but so far it's just been one POV. Um, and I also really like to kind of flip the, um, gender expectations. So I love, um, I mean, I love a beta male alpha males are great, but like I am 100% here for a beta male. So I love writing men who are less experienced. Um, I love virgin heroes. Just any time that the woman can be the more experienced one or the one who's sort of like showing them either how it's done or like what she enjoys. Um, I mean, I think people, one reason people love romance novels is they're just so tremendously empowering. So And it's refreshing. It's refreshing to hear that perspective. I think a lot of, you know, women um, may be the only access to, I don't like to call it erotica because it doesn't, it doesn't really feel like that, but our only access has probably been porn or these Mm -hmm. very graphic type of stories where it is male dominated. It is very male heavy. And so to read stories about, 
a woman's pleasure and consent and a woman taking ownership it sucks that it's refreshing, but it is very, it is very refreshing to hear that. And especially Shay being, you know, a little older than Dominic, mm-hmm. it's a very interesting dynamic that I just don't think that we've, that we've seen. And, and I've, I mean, I've been reading so many romance novels. So now I, I, I feel like there is this through line and there is this more empowerment aspect to it. All the women that I've read in these books, all these, the main female characters the the sexual experience is all about them really mm-hmm. and that that is just such an amazing shift i think in narratives uh sex stories I, i'm ju- i'm so glad that that exists for sure and one thing i, I want to add that's something that is also important to me is like giving equal weight to sex acts that are not just penetrative sex for if, if the character right they did it they didn't even have sex the first time Right. And like, I would still call that a sex scene because it really, um, like a huge pet peeve of mine is when characters will just be hooking up and it's like, they're getting closer and closer, but it's like, oh, we haven't had sex yet. It's like, no, you definitely have. Um, because I also think that is, I just hope we're like rewriting the, the kind of expectations, especially when, you know, there are a lot more mainstream queer romances than there were in the past. Like Casey McKiston, she she wrote the book Red, White, and Royal Blue. Mm -hmm. And at first, I I honestly was hesitant to read it because I was like, oh, well, I relate to the sex scenes because they're between two men. And oh, yes, I did relate to them. And (laughs) it was fantastic. So it's just like, yeah, there is this shift in in just showing other stories and under and honestly, like it makes it a way more humanizing and it feels, it feels relatable. I don't, I don't know how else to Mm -hmm. say it. Yeah. Well, and um, another one that I would really recommend is written in the stars by Alexandria Belfour, which is a um, like opposites attract um, like FF romance that came out last year. That's really steamy and really good. Um, But I just love it because I think anytime that a straight romance considers like penetrative sex, the singular sex act it just like completely takes away from all other like gendered couples and and queer couples and I just I am (laughs) trying as like much as I can as like a straight white author to leave that space for other people and like just wanting any reader to feel safe in my books yeah oh I love that. And I I really respect that you've done that because, I mean, we we just had the founder of Dame Products on OKSIS and um, it's a pleasure forward vibrator company, but they, they, we were talking about how, you know, majority of women don't even orgasm from penetrative sex. So it's, and we see time and time again, every piece of media, every Mm rom-com you see, they're just like, coming right away with the man at the same time (laughs) through missionary. And I'm like, like, that's not like, so it's nice. And again, refreshing to see, to see other ways that women can, can find pleasure other than penetrative sex. So I, I really respect that. Yeah. And like, I honestly didn't even know that, that many women couldn't uh, like orgasm that way until I was in my mid twenties and it was romance novels that I don't talk about it. (laughs) Yep. Romance, romance novels, you know, just teaching us everything these yep. days, really. <laughs> okay, I want to do a little bit of rapid fire before we um, end here. I got to ask, what are some of your favorite podcasts? 
Uh, okay, so my top podcast at the moment, and it has been for a while, is the Bechtel cast. Um, it Ooh. is a feminist movie podcast hosted by two comedians, uh, and they are hilarious, and they dissect both, um, you know, popular movies and just like totally bonkers out there movies. Um, and it's not just them sitting there being like, does this pass the Bechtel test? Yes. Okay, cool. Um, they really dig deep with all kinds of representation and lately they've made a push to be a lot more intersectional and just more diverse in the kinds of movies they cover and the guests that they have on the podcast. Um, but if anyone has not listened to it and wants to, I recommend starting with an episode of a movie you either really love or a movie you really hate because those tend to be <laughs> the most fun. Um, and uh, I also really love, um, it's a slightly older podcast, but for any Gilmore Girls fans out there, um, Gilmore Guys is one of my yes. all-time favorite podcasts. I absolutely love it. So good. I agree. Um, okay. This might, well, I'll just ask it and you, you, you tell me what you think. <laughs> what does literary success look like to you? Uh, that's such a great question because I am someone who is perpetually hard on myself. Uh, and my therapist is always telling me to like celebrate things and just like, go get yourself a cake. Something good happens. Like go, <laughs> yes. uh, celebrate the small wins. It's all we have, honestly. Yeah. You know what I always keep c coming back to and at the beginning of every year, I make both like a goals list for the year and kind of like an ongoing dreams list because I don't like to call it resolutions because there's so many things that are out of my control. Like I can't resolve to hit a bestseller list. That's not something I'm personally, it would be amazing if I could control it, but I cannot. Um, but the things, the one thing I keep coming back to is just like being able to keep doing this. And I think a lot of authors feel that way. Like it just feels like a tremendous privilege to continue to write books and continue to hear from readers. Um, especially over the past year when we've all been, you know, in lockdown, the kinds of the emails that I've gotten from readers have just like completely, some, some of them, like many of them have moved me to tears and it's just, I feel so honored to get to do this. So the fact that this is my job, if it's able to stay my job, that is, that is success for me. Love that. Okay. What is your favorite underappreciated novel? Ooh, that is a good one. Uh, ugh, I always feel like I have to pull up my Goodreads for these questions. I, I should know <laughs> at this point to be prepared. Um, okay, no, uh, this one, I, I it actually bothers me that this one is not more widely read, but it's um, Public Relations by uh, Katie Heaney and Ariana Rebellini. I think it it's a romantic comedy that hit just a little too soon, or like a little too early, like before kind of that big boom. Um, but it is so much fun. It feels like a less problematic Devil Wears Prada set in the PR okay. world. Um, and it's about that. a young publicist who is doing PR for like a Harry Styles type pop star. And it is just so fun. I absolutely loved it. Okay. You sold me. That <laughs> sounds, I mean, adding, adding to cart ASAP. Um, okay. This one I've always wondered, how do you select the names of your characters in particular, the X talk let's, mm -hmm. let's Shay and Dominic. I have a list of names that I like, and sometimes I will pull from that, but sometimes those names just don't feel right. 
Um, so for Shay, it's a name that I've liked for a long time. Uh, I remember there was a girl in like my art class in high school who was named Shay and she was just very cool. <laughs> she was just seemed so like untouchable. She was just like a very cool artist who um, just very reserved and like if she ever spoke to you, it was just like, oh my God. Um, and I, I don't know, I, I maybe I just like pocketed that name and I was like, okay, she's just, I, I, I don't know. I, I love the simplicity. I love simple names and I also love um, androgynous names. Um, so a lot of my characters have, have androgynous names like Shay, um, my next main character in a, my next adult main character is Ari. Um, and then Dominic, I remember looking at lists of names and trying to find something that sounded good with Shay. I also like when they have um, different amounts of syllables or, or at least like different lengths. It just, it has to sound good to the ear, but it also has to look good to me on the page. And sometimes it takes a little while to get there. My, my editors are probably very annoyed with me because it is not unusual for me to send back a revision and be like, by the way, I changed these three characters' names because they just oh. didn't, <laughs> they stopped feeling right to me. Or yeah. as I'm revising, sometimes um, I change, usually not the main characters, but like some some secondary characters, I change their names so that the book feels fresh to me. Mm. Like a weird trick, but it, it works. Yeah. yeah, because after you're looking at it for so long, I can imagine that you just need like some sort mm -hmm. of reset of, of the words. Um, okay, and then what was the hardest scene to write in the X Talk? Uh, you know, the climactic scene when they are um, on stage doing their podcast live was a real challenge for me. Um, honestly, anything that has action is difficult as a, for me as an author because I really love my favorite scenes are just two people sitting and talking. <laughs> That sounds like so lazy, but I just love digging deep with, with dialogue and, you know, people's inner thoughts. And I just, I love like little moments. So little moments where the relationship starts to shift, where, you know, someone touches you in a slightly different way and you're wondering like, oh, yeah, um, the, the like office kitchen oh, scene. Yeah. I was like, <laughs> I love, I love I like, what? Scene. Um, oh my God. but I love like, you know, overanalyzing the accidental touch or just, someone opening up to you in a way that they've never opened up to anyone else before. Those, those are my favorites to write, but action is very hard unless it's in a I bed. can imagine. <laughs> that <Yeah>. is easy. <laughs> action, unless it's in a bed. I love that. Well, thank you so much, Rachel, for, for joining me and doing this. This is like one of my, I love books and I love book clubs and talking about books. It's it's one of my favorite pastimes. So uh, you mentioned that you have a new book coming out. Can you tell us a little bit about it when we can expect to grab it? Yes. Well, so actually, uh, my I have a YA novel coming out in June uh, that is called We Can't Keep Meeting Like This. And it is a wedding planning summer hijinks rom-com with a teen harpist and a cater waiter. Uh, and then I have another adult romantic comedy out in January called Weather Girl. Um, and this one, I am working on it right now and it is so much fun. It is about a meteorologist who teams up with a sports reporter um, to scheme to reunite their divorced bosses at their TV station. Um, oh so it's sort of like Parent Trap at a TV station. <laughs> I mean, that's a great sell. Love it. 
and uh, yeah those uh those have been a lot of fun and Maddie thank and where you. can oh sorry no no go go ahead I was gonna say where can everyone find you tell them the Instagrams just plug yourself for sure uh so I am at r-l-y-n-n underscore solomon s-o-l-o-m-o-n um I was going to say at gmail.com but <laughs> I'm like so used to <laughs> No, um, I, that is my handle on Instagram and Twitter and, um, I'm rachelsolomonbooks.com. Love it. Thank you so much for this. This was so fun. Um, I hope everyone enjoyed this conversation and be on the lookout for Rachel's new steamy books coming out. Thank you, Maddie. This was such a blast. Thank you.